0: Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. today. Thank you for being a part of Oaks Church, and thank you for all of you that are with us online, hundreds of you across the country. uh, I don't know, 38, 40 states, something represented, people watching Oaks Church from all over. So thank you uh, for sharing with your friends. Uh, We believe God is doing something really special here. Our series that we're in right now is called Significance. Significance. Some of the ideas out of that series have been the sign, the first The first four words of the word or letters of significance are sign. What is the sign of your life? What signal does your life give? Signify is a part of that word as well. And there's something that your life is meant to signify. So we're connecting into God's cause, God's call, God's purpose for our lives. That's what this is about. And we've been tying in the concept of faith into significance because it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to connect into the purpose of God without faith. So our faith is a crucial piece and a part of our significance. Last week, we jumped into the story of Gideon, one of the great uh, victorious stories in the Bible, but we were dealing with someone who or talking about someone who was dealing with a significant amount of insecurity and specifically abandonment, feeling like they had been abandoned by God. Bitter, angry, where are you, God? And God revealed himself to Gideon, and Gideon moved into a place, that first step coming out of anger and resentment toward God is moving into a step of baby steps of faith, moving into a place of trust and specifically worship. So we've been talking about what is God calling you to to give, to sacrifice, to worship him. What is he moving in your life? It could be a habit. It could be a hobby. It could be a, a certain amount of t- way that you spend your time. It could be social media in the name of Jesus. Uh, I, I'm, I'm asking, Lord, to remove social media from my life. I don't know, some of you too. Um, anyway, just too much crazy and drama. Th- th- anyway, I'm just gonna move on from that. Um, in fact, I'm gonna do something right now. I'm gonna pray. I think that's probably the most important thing I can do right now in this moment. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, That you would release your word to us. That you would give us your strength, your courage, your ability. That you would speak to us today. Father, we put our full trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk about the importance and the value of confidence in your life if you're going to walk in the fullness of who he's called you to be and if you're going to live a significant life. Confidence. Where do you find confidence? Where is your confidence? Uh, Have you ever known someone that had false confidence? You ever watch American Idol? The the person on the show that their mama didn't tell them they couldn't sing, right? And and they lived their entire life thinking they could sing. We actually knew a guy, went to our church back in the day, um, and, and, and he was one of the ones that Simon Cowell made fun of and told him he was horrible. You're the worst I've ever heard. Whatever he's, however he's, I mean, literally just brutal honesty. But false confidence can get you in trouble. I had a a moment of false confidence when I was in sixth grade. There was this eighth grader that was picking on him, on me. His name was Chisholm. That is a weird name, but he was picking on me. And as a little sixth grader, I was tired of it, and so I punched Chisholm um, hard as I could, and he laughed. And then he went to work on me. Uh, And I was no man. he was literally, he was a foot and a half taller than I was. He was an eighth grader, he he had body hair. I was a sixth grader, hadn't started that process yet, and I was just outgunned, outmanned in every way, shape and form. I was a boy messing with a man, had false confidence, thought I could take him. That little chihuahua barking up up a big dog's leg. was in Miami and I saw a grandma on South Beach that had false confidence. She thought she was Bo Derek, Sports Illustrated Magazine. She should not have been wearing what she was wearing, but by God, she was confident in it. You've never experienced that? Someone with a little too much confidence? See, false confidence can get you in trouble. Uh, We have to have confidence, but we need, need to have confidence in the right things. And Confidence can, if it's out of bounds, can become insecurity or it can become arrogance. And either side of confidence, if you're out of bounds, can get you in trouble. You can think you're much more ready for something than you are and jump in and get yourself in way over your head. Or you could not realize what God has called you into and you stay in a place of insecurity and never step out and do the things that God has called you to do. Makes me think of the saying, Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. If you don't risk, you can't make, uh, have the opportunity to find that reward. There's, a, uh, there's something said to having the confidence to step out and swing for the fences. We must find the balance of true confidence and true humility if we're going to live a significant life. True confidence and true humility. I want to take a moment and just look at the word confidence the word confidence, if you, if you look at just the for, first portion of the word, it's the word confide. To confide. To place confidence in. If you're going to confide, if I'm going to confide something in Brandon, that means I'm putting my trust in Brandon. If I'm going to confide something in my wife, I'm entrusting my wife with information. So for me to be in a place of confidence, it means that I have put my trust in something, Now, interestingly enough, the word humility is connected. It's, it's the state of being humble, but the word humility is not very far away from the word humiliate. See, humility is the ability to recognize where you stand and put yourself in a place of being humble so that you aren't humiliated by someone else. Ever been humiliated? Oh, it's no fun. It's no fun to be humiliated. So, to learn how to be humble is an important thing. I once heard someone say that they were the most humble person that they knew. Sounds a little off to me. I don't know. Who do you confide in? Where do you put your trust? You must have confidence in your own strength and abilities. You must have confidence in your own strength and abilities. It's important. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I want to go to Judges chapter 6. We're going to find Gideon uh, right where we left off. The army has now begun to gather around him. If you remember, the the Bible describes the army as if it was a swarm of locusts. It literally covered the entire ground. Another passage that talks about these these Midianites, the, the army from Midian, was that they were like sand on the seashore. They were innumerable, uncountable. But Gideon had found a little bit of confidence. And so it says in Judges chapter 6, verse 33, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, and camped near the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet... Summoning all the Abizarites to follow him, he sent messengers through Manasseh calling to arms also to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are the brothers of of Joseph. Uh, And so that they too went up to meet him. So he called out, he sent a message out, he uh, sent a tweet out, it went all over the place, and 32,000 people came. Gideon was, the first time we saw him when he gathered a few friends around him to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole in his village, he had 10 friends that were with him. Now the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he sends out the message and his 10 go to 32,000. Gideon went viral, real quick, He had some gravity to his situation. He must have been feeling pretty good about himself, except he wasn't quite fully convinced. As the story continues, Gideon goes into a season called fleecing, putting a fleece out before God. He began to wager with God. God, if you're really with me, I'm going to put this fleece, this lamb's skin out. And if you're really with me in the morning, let the fleece, be dry, but all of the ground be covered in dew. So he goes out, sure enough, the fleece is dry, the ground is dew. Okay, okay. Father, if you're really with me, God, if you're really with me, tomorrow morning, let the fleece be full of dew, but all the ground around it be dry. That would be impossible, right? God again shows himself faithful and gives him the sign. Now, Jesus mentioned that it's a wicked and adulterous generation that look for a sign. It's actually looking for a sign is another baby faith step. It's a baby faith step to ask for a sign. doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it means that you're still looking for something to prove instead of just believing what God has said. God had already told Gideon that he was gonna deliver the entire army into his hands. But Gideon is still struggling a little bit. He's got some insecurity. He's a strong man. He's a strong leader. He's got a little bit of confidence because he's, he's, he's called and he's gathered these people to himself, but he's still dealing with insecurity. So I want to talk about this confidence in your own strength and ability. It's, it's massively important. No one follows insecurity. They follow confidence. Confidence is contagious. I, I say it like this. Confidence is, is, is built by perpetual practice. Practice makes confident. Anything you practice, you will begin to perform and perfect at a higher level if you practice. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes confident, in my opinion. There are certain things that, I'm, that I, I know I'm good at, I, I know that I can do well in because I've just practiced so much. At this point in my career, I've got about 25,000 hours of public speaking experience. I don't get nervous when I am in front of a crowd. doesn't matter how big they are, doesn't, how big the crowd is, or small, or important, or whatever. It doesn't affect me negatively. It actually makes me excited because it's a challenge and a thrill for me. I like it, and I'm confident that it's going to go well. But if I haven't practiced, there are some people that to get up on this stage and and be expected to say something on God's behalf would be crippling. But for me, it's thrilling. It wasn't always that way. I I remember my first time, some of you remember one of my mentors was Gordon Banks, and I was being um, interviewed and and tried out to be a, a member of their their uh, youth ministry team at the time. This is about 22 years ago. And it was my first time getting up to speak and I jumped up in front of these teenagers, probably a couple hundred teenagers there, and I preached on Elijah. And man, I preached and I preached and I preached. And I went through, I literally, I went through his entire life in one message, all of Elijah's life, every every single part of it, all in one message. And I felt like I did so well. And I remember at the end, I get off, Pastor Gordon comes up and he thanks me and then he repreaches my message. I had used up all my time. But Gordon was like, "Yeah, that won't cut it." And he repreaches my message the right way, right in front of me. False confidence. I didn't have much practice at that time. I had a lot to learn. But confidence is important because if you don't have confidence in your own strength and abilities, you will limit yourself in an amazing way and you won't ever step out and try new things. So you have to have confidence in your natural abilities and you need to do things to develop that confidence. You need to, uh, to as the Bible says, study to show yourself approved because it affects your life in an incredible way. But confidence in yourself, trust in yourself, and your natural abilities will only get you so far. Gideon had a boost of confidence because he went from 10 to 32,000. You need to have confidence in your community. The Bible says many advisors makes victory sure. The decisions I make in this church moving forward, a number of you that are in this room, I call people in this room. Countless times have I called Stan or Wayne, uh, different people in this room, uh, are board. I, I don't make big decisions without having the consensus of our board members and people that I consider advisors in my life. Phil has walked me through many decisions for 20 years. Many advisors makes victory sure. I need to have confidence in my community. There is strength in numbers, but it only gets you so far because your your adversary, your enemy, outnumbers you. If it's only about your natural ability and if it's only about your natural community. So God begins a season with Gideon that was not pleasant. This is Judges chapter seven, verse one. Early in the morning, Jerob, Baal, that was the nickname for Gideon. It means uh, who contends, he who contends with Baal or let Baal contend for himself because Gideon had torn down Baal's altar. And all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Mora. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. 32,000. 32,000 against 300,000. An army 10 times bigger. God says you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, watch this, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Anyone who's afraid. You're trying to muster as many people to help as possible. And you're instructed by God, hey, if any of you are scared, if any of you are trembling with fear against this 300,000-man army, and we have 32,000, you're free to go. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will fend them out for you there. If I say to this one, shall I go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one not to go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took them in down to the water. There uh, the Lord said, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Gideon was reduced from 32,000 to 22,000, or pardon me, down to 10,000, 22,000 left. God says it's still too many. You'll still take the credit. You'll still boast against me. So I'm gonna reduce you even more. I'm gonna reduce you down to 300 men. Have you ever been in a season where you felt like you were being reduced? Ever been in a season that felt like you were going backwards? Felt like no matter what you tried to do, you were running in sand? You ever tried to run in sand? Oh my gosh. We go through seasons sometimes where it seems like we're being reduced. I've been in seasons where I felt like all I had left was just I'm barely hanging on by a thread. And so many times that's exactly where God needed me to be. Because I have a tendency to try to do things in my own strength. I have a tendency to lean on my own understanding. I have a tendency to think I'm smart enough to figure it out. And it's it's an interesting balance because God does give us ability and God does give us talent. And God does give us intellect, and God does want us to step out and act in faith, and God does want us to use the gifts that he's given us. Remember the story of the talents. One guy got five talents, another guy got two talents, another guy got one talent. Talent was a sum of money. But interesting that it's a word that translates into our lives as an ability to be able to do something. God gives all of us talents. The guy that had five turned it into ten. The guy that had two turned it into four. They went out and used their talent, and they multiplied it. One guy had one talent. He buried it in the dirt, and he had a bad attitude against the master that gave him that talent. And Jesus depicted the master engaging that evil servant, the wicked servant. Since you know so much about me and how I reap where I haven't sown, let me take the talent that I sowed into you, and I'll give it to the guy that has 10 talents Because I know he'll do something with what I give him. That doesn't look anything like some of the socialistic ideas that we see floated around in our world. Jesus said, I'll take from the one who's not doing anything with what I gave them, and I'll give it to the one who's doing the most. Interesting. Kingdom economics. God's looking for people that'll step up and do something with what he's given them and not make excuses. Yet it's still a trap if we're not careful that we fall into a place where we rest on our own abilities and rest in our own community and feel safe in our numbers. It's why there's something wrong with being in a church that's us four and no more. If we're not as a people, if we're not as a people, as the people of Oaks, constantly looking for who's gonna fill these seats, who do I know that needs to be a part of a family? Who do I know that needs Jesus? Now listen, I'm not talking to you about going to other people that are planted and happy in other churches. If someone is planted and happy in a church, leave them planted and happy. If someone is not happy where they're planted, then maybe that's okay. God's calling them to do something different. But I would much rather us find people that don't even need Jesus, don't even know Jesus yet. They need Jesus and don't know it. And invite them into our family. Got a lot of seats to fill. Only 50% of our county attends church. And, and, and not all of them that regularly. 50% of people don't even go to church. And now we got everyone from, from the east and the west coast coming this way. It's a whole lot of people coming that need a church home. Separate those who lap like dogs from those who kneel down to drink. Why is it that God wants to make sure that we don't take the credit? Make sure that we don't lean on our own strengths? It's because God wants the glory. God wants the glory. The number one thing that God desires is worship. He wants the glory. And if we're not careful... We'll take the glory from him. We'll take the credit from him. Because we're made in his image. And we have a desire. Did you know you have a desire for glory? Anybody here not like it when people tell you good job? Anybody here just, you can't stand it if someone tells you how proud they are of you, how well you're doing? Just hate it. Oh, I hate it when people admire me. We all have a desire, some more than others. We, we like the glory. So we, we put confidence in ourselves and our ability. We talk about what we can do and how much we've done. But if we're not careful, we'll take God's glory. And that can be a devastating thing for our futures. There was a season in my life where in my competition career, I was at a roadblock, and I was kind of bumping my head. I was dissatisfied in a number of, uh, of places in my life, and I had a friend of mine, uh, my best buddy in, in high school, at the end of high school and college, my senior year and all through college, and still one of my, um, one of my best buddies. I got to go and be his uh, best man again uh, a, a few weeks ago, and uh, it, was, it was great to be with my buddy, Brian. Brian is the one that told me I was too stupid to be his friend when I broke up with Jennifer. And so I went crying and crawling back to Jennifer. And now here I am with my, this week, 50-year-old bride. Uh, we'll celebrate in a few weeks, 27 years of marriage. But that wasn't the only time that Brian had a massively significant effect on my life. There was a time where I was, uh, in the middle of my career, I, I started my career really young because I was a competitor. And so as a competitor and as an instructor, I launched into a business at the end of high school. And while all my other friends were off in, doing college, I was going to college. But I was I was working and running my own business in college. And my buddy asked me one day, he said, hey, if if God asked you to give all this up, would you do it? And I turned to and I said, Brian, that's ridiculous. God gave me these gifts. He gave me this ability. He gave me the desire. He gave me all this. This is what he wants me to do. Doesn't even make any sense. He asked me the question again. I said, it doesn't make any sense. He's not going to do that. He gave me this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. He gave me all this. He said, Joel, I didn't ask you, would he? I'm asking you, if he did, would you give it up? And I I started to cry. Because the answer was no. I liked my life so much. And what I was doing so much that I had to come face to face that if God asked me to give it up, I'd say no. Broke my heart. I didn't realize that the gift God had given me had become an idol in my life. The talent he'd given me had become an idol in my life. The, the business and the success that he'd given me had become an idol in my life. And I moved into an entirely different stage of my spiritual life. I moved into a stage where I wouldn't bow, where I would give God anything at any moment, where I made vows to God and said, God, you send me anywhere, I'll go. You ask me to give up anything, I'll give it up. You ask me to leave, you ask me to come. Anything you say, I'll do it. And then an opportunity came my way to be able to try out for the U.S. team. And I was in the middle of that place of of dedicating myself to God at a much higher level. I said, God, if you want me to walk away from this industry, I'll walk away right now. But if you want me to go to the next level in this, then open the door for me and I will give you all of the glory. Nothing had really changed inside of my technical training or anything like that. But all of a sudden, my spiritual life began to have an effect on my natural performance. My discipline increased. My, my, My desire increased. I had a different goal. It wasn't about my glory. It was about his glory. It was about the platform that he could give me that I could use for him. And I vowed to him, you put me on this team and I will be a witness for you. You put me in this place and I will use this platform to be a minister for you. At that point in time in my life, I was still in the I'll never be a pastor phase of my life. I was gonna use my business as my ministry and I did use my business as my ministry. So the only shift that happened was my spiritual life shifted and my devotion to God and my focus for his glory shifted. And all of a sudden, Everything about my life that I was now willing to give up got elevated and upgraded. I went from being a national champion to moving on to the global stage and being a world, becoming a world champion over the next couple of years. I, I was a teenager, 19 and 20 years old, and, and my business, all of a sudden, I had investors come in, and my, my business that I was willing to walk away from and give up for God now became one of the most prominent studios in our entire federation. And I was the youngest owner and God elevated me, not because I was better and not because my confidence was in me, and not because my confidence was in my, 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 my community. It was, it was a shift that happened in my heart that all of a sudden, I stopped seeking my own glory. I started seeking His. Um, we don't like reduction seasons. We don't like seasons that feel like we're going backwards. But God had to reduce Gideon down to a certain type of individual. See, he had, of 32,000, he had 22 that were terrified. They were shaking in fear. Get them out. They're not ready to go. He had another 9,700 that failed a test, what was the test? How you drink water, doesn't make sense. 9,700 of them, when it came time to drink water, got down on their knees and drank straight out of the river like this. Only 300 squatted down, head on a swivel, grabbing water, drinking like this, ready for battle. The word, watch this, the word that is used of the ones that were rejected is that they bowed down. They bowed down. Bowing in Hebrew symbolizes worship. It symbolizes worth going somewhere else. Where you place your worth. To them, their own hydration was worth more than the mission at hand. They were already surrounded. The army, they were already surrounded by a multitude. It wasn't as if the, the, the battle wasn't already at hand. And they were so concerned with their own satisfaction that they bowed down. See, this isn't the first story of 300 warriors that you've heard. In fact, much more famous is the Battle of Philop- 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 philopony My God, I can't say it. It's in my notes. Maybe I could read it. I can't say it. Uh, but, but it was the one where the Spartan warriors, remember King Leonidas, they made a movie about it. And 300 Spartans stood and fought against, uh, some say almost a million Persians. And they all died. But that's the one that's famous. And if you saw the movie, I'm not condoning certain parts of the movie. If You, you should fast forward it. Other parts of the movie are pretty cool. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where King Leonidas is standing before King Xerxes, who was supposed to be a god king. And King Xerxes says, we can, all, we can solve all of this and we can, we can work all this out. There's no need for us to fight. All I need for you to do is just bow down before me. And king Leonidas said, you know, uh, King, that's going to be a problem. You see, I got this problem with my knees, and I don't do bowing. The story of Gideon is the original story of 300. It happened actually 700 years before the Spartan army. And Gideon's 300 actually won the war. They didn't die as martyrs. But it reminds me of the three Hebrew boys that were taken into captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were forced to either bow to King Nebuchadnezzar or to be thrown into a furnace of fire, a furnace that was turned up so hot that when the men, the servants, opened the furnace, they died instantly because of the heat that came out of the furnace. And those young men stood there and said, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, no offense, but we believe that our God is able And our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow. So they were thrown into that furnace. And when they looked inside the furnace, they didn't see three men. They saw four. And Nebuchadnezzar declared, one looks like the son of God. Jesus met them in that fire. Jesus met them in that place because they wouldn't bow. God is looking for people that will give him the glory and they won't bow. We've got to be people that say, God is my confidence. God is my confidence. When God became my confidence and God became my glory, every part of my life elevated beyond my natural abilities. See, if your confidence is in your natural abilities, if your confidence is in your surroundings and your community, you're limited to the natural, and you may do great things, and you may have a great life, and you may be able to accomplish lots inside of the confidence you have in your own strength, in your own abilities, in your own natural surroundings. But if God becomes your confidence... You still have to become excellent in your skill sets. You still have to be nat- naturally excellent. It doesn't, it, it's not a magic pill. It doesn't mean that you get to sit around and watch TBN all the time and just magically succeed in life. You actually still have to get up and go to work. Go accomplish. Do the things. Build the natural confidence. But now you're not stuck with a natural situation and only natural results. You've connected into the super of God and God's super compounds your natural and all of a sudden your life looks supernatural and you're able to do things and and be in positions guys this for for us we were we were two years old when we started buying this building two years old that's impossible that doesn't happen and it wasn't because i was so good It's not because I'm such a great pastor and such a great preacher. Guys, I got a lot to grow. I got a lot of growing to do. I got a lot of learning to do. It happened because God gave a word. God gave a word. And about 300 of us said, all right, let's do it. And so now a baby church was able to walk into something supernatural Because a people that had faith and were willing to give God the glory moved outside of their own natural abilities and natural confidence and natural strength and just said, God, if you send me, I'll go. If you send me, I'll go. God did something supernatural with us and he's just getting started. He's got huge plans for us as a church. He's got huge plans for us as a congregation and as individuals. I believe God wants to add his super into your natural life. And I believe he wants you to step into a whole new season of walking in a confidence like you've never walked in before because it's not a confidence that's solely based on you and your abilities. It's a confidence that's connected in to his divine word over your life, to what he's speaking over your life and what he's calling you to step into. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. I thank you for your victorious nature, for your spirit. Father, you are so good. We give you all of the glory. We give you all of the glory. We confide in you you are our confidence we trust in you we put our faith in you i want to do this for just a moment if you maybe you connect to this maybe maybe you feel like for just a moment maybe you feel like you've been leaning on your own abilities scripture says trust in the lord in all your ways and lean not on your own understanding. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've been leaning on your own abilities, you've been leaning on your own way of figuring things out, leaning on your own strength, leaning on your own talents, and God is calling you into a new season of stepping into his super and, 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 and making his, making his word and his instructions and, and, and a connection to him your main focus. To plug that into your family life, to plug that into your relationships, to plug that into your careers. What if, what if you could be a supernatural parent? What if you could have a supernatural edge? You've got a word that God has declared over your children. What if you could be a supernatural spouse? You've got a word God has declared over your husband, and you're standing firm of what you're going to see develop inside of his life. God's given you a word for your business, for your career. You're a supernatural business person. Not just limited to to what you can figure out or what kind of a cooperative uh, team you could build inside of a corporation. But you've got a word that God has spoken in your life. You've got a new confidence. I believe God's calling people into that. If that's you, I just want you to be bold enough just to stand up wherever you are. I need need God's confidence in my life. I need God to speak into my marriage, into my business, into my family, into my friends. I need God to surge inside of my life and begin to give me the word. Begin to give me the word for my family, my future, my life. I don't want to entrust my life to myself. I want to be fully vested in God and His kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands. Just lift your hands like you're offering your life up to Him, because that's what you're doing right now. Father, I offer my life to You. Say that with me. Father, I offer my life to You. My life is Yours. I give it to You. I entrust it to You. All of my abilities, all of my strength, all that I have, I entrust it to You. I put my faith in You. Nothing is off limits. I give you all the glory and ask you to speak to me, communicate to me, give me your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.